72, folks. 72. I was just asked about this today by a friend who only kind of learned the details of this podcast. And they were like, how do you do 100 about one game? I go, the asymmetry, baby. It opens it up constantly. It really does. Yeah, Exponential my ma- episode growth. <laughs> that and two decks and uh, an evolving meta alone just like serves us so well in terms of content creation it's it's hard to think of a lot of games that actually can last this long with meaningful discussion and i honestly think that like it's sort of an endless well if you really really get down into it which is what i feel like what we're trying to do in this podcast is like try and dig deep you know obviously because it's about just one game (laughs) i think we just scratched the surface (laughs) (laughs) yeah i kind of am with you i know like it feels like the the more we like truly dig into some of these concepts, the more kind of elusive they start to feel. And like Root is just such a rich living game that it's so hard to like actually encompass the whole thing. So it's a big task. I it, I could easily see it uh, going long, you know? <laughs> well, we've said it. We're doing 101 episodes. Okay. <laughs> so that only leaves us with, 29 more episodes. Okay, wow. So we really got to get into like the eldritch horrors of Root at this point. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> we got to cover the cosmic. Re- <laughs> yeah, before we move on to Cosmic Encounter. <laughs> right. <laughs> uh, I actually just have a little bit of a recent invigoration for the game because I taught it to some people recently. Ooh, and I, haven't, nice. I have not taught Root uh, in a long time most of the time i've been playing since quarantine has been online and so everybody i've known already knew how to play so i've rarely had to actually teach it so i had to go a little bit back to our teaching episode <laughs> i was like i gotta remember exactly what our tactics were on this and gummies. uh gummies yeah yeah uh, we did well on the snacks i don't think we had gummies available but mike and ike's were available which okay. everybody liked but me or uh good and plenty yeah good which and is the plenty black... what year were you teaching it in which which is the black licorice one good and plenty yeah i don't understand it either i can't stand that candy Katie and uh, our a frequent uh, director of photography for Good Time Society, a guy named Kevin, and then uh, his girlfriend Jess, they came over, and they all played Root with me, uh, and they all liked Good and Plenty's. Now, Jake, <laughs> I know you pretty well. Yeah. So I know that even though you taught this game, you won. Is that correct? <laughs> I let them know that I'm not supposed to win, <laughs> but I'm gonna I'm gonna try yeah. because I, I I always will put up a, a fight, but I'm not gonna like table talk the meta and all that stuff but right. i want to like put it in an earnest game and they don't they're all good and uh, like yeah. experienced enough gamers to not want me to skate right yeah. so i did make what i did for my objective was to play the hardest faction i barely understand which is the badgers oh good good, good. i mean so that i made it hard for myself and uh it was katie was the birds uh cool. the eerie dynasty uh kevin wanted to do the marquise to cat uh, and from like the get-go and then it was jess who rounded it out with the corvids and i myself was the badgers oh, nice. so it was actually a really fun matchup and they had a blast kevin and jess went and bought the game right afterwards oh, wow <laughs> so i consider that a success yeah Katie that, had that played well. once before i believe at your birthday party sam yes, yes. uh one, she was one of the losers in the dual game where uh Kyle destroyed us both, or all, <laughs> I should say. And she played Vagabond, but she didn't really remember the details of the experience, so she was eager to try it again. But they all won a rematch. That's awesome. So you did win. I did not win. The Corvids won. <laughs> I nice. did. I did okay. I I really have only played the Badgers a handful of times, yes. and I was. I, it, uh, 
I kind of fumbled my way through them the first times, but these times I kind of remembered the strategy a little bit more in terms of the economy of the retinue with mm -hmm. moving and such. Um, but I got really unlucky with my flips. I, I had to risk some mm -hmm. two, two clearing rule on some tablets and such and kept getting the threes, Ugh. which I played the odds a little bit. Unfortunately, it was just a matter of circumstance and where I could get where the birds and the cats weren't. Yeah. So Jess did a fantastically aggressive Corvid play that like, she was just putting down plots and they were kind of letting them go because Katie had a, unfortunately she didn't have a build in her, uh, um, her decree early on. Mm. So she really couldn't get started very easily. Mm. And Kevin was wisely consolidating. So they kind of let the Corvids get away with mm. murder. Sneak away into the shadows. Yeah. And well, they were really open about it and she played some really well-placed raids and uh, she just kept popping crows everywhere. And so she was reliably in the lead most of the time. It was great. They had a good blast, and I'm proud she won. That's cool. Mountain map. Yeah. It was. I played autumn, but randomized so summer. Oh yeah. Oh summer. Cool. And uh, I thought that'd be the best standard deck. I, we did do standard deck per your instructions in episode one because I remembered that though they do have a lower, uh, higher crafting cost on average. There's kind of more. There's easier cards to glean in yeah. that deck, which I agree with. Yeah, I could go you. either way. I think that a new player can handle the new deck too. But always, yeah, always it just curious. has enough like oh, to explain a few yeah, things. Yeah. 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 And you just yeah. never want to see like a wall of text on a card. Yeah, when right. you draw coffin makers for the first time, you're like, uh oh, yeah. what is this? <laughs> or to go down the rabbit hall of, of false orders. I can stuff. tell yeah. this is good just from how tiny the font is. <laughs> <laughs> that used to be true of magic cards. Too. I was it's just like, going to oh, say, like, this is a full paragraph. <laughs> it means I can probably like steal my opponent's card. Or something. <laughs> yeah, um, this has got to be devastating, I'm sure. Somewhere in this paragraph. <laughs> But that's my personal root news. But do you have any actual root news? Root news! Well, yes, the Community Plays Root Season 2 has begun. Yes. My Ooh. team, team number one, currently is deciding on our faction. And I am not a captain, and we're all deciding very democratically. So, uh, big improvement from last season. Um, but yeah, uh, come on and join us. There will be a link to the root, community plays root discord in the show notes. I'm sure Jake. Yes. Yeah. hundred percent. Yeah. Yeah. I, I'm just checking it now actually. <laughs> yeah. Oh, which team are you on Jake? Uh, I think I'm on, is it gorilla tortilla? <laughs> is that a team? Kyle, which team are you on? Um, I have to find out. I think I'm on, I don't know. Well, I actually haven't been to this Discord for... yet. Sorry. It's, you can probably cut all of this. Literally, like, just got... I, I opened Discord, and there's, like, a million messages. I've been, like, <laughs> pinged a few times, been to, and like, I'm just like, school. oh, God. <laughs> I feel like last night I got eight hours of sleep for the first time in, like, a year. <laughs> I'm like, so happy today. Uh, but, yeah, I should check Discord. You're right. Hold on. You're the rats. They are team uh, four. Team I four! Am, I am team three. They are the otters. Team one still deciding. Do we know what team two is? Yeah. I don't know. The birds. Uh, uh, yes, Tasty Birds. Okay, cool. All right, so let us, uh, I guess you can't You can't talk about what your internal debates are. I mean, we're what choosing are between. What are you leaning for? What are the two? Uh, the, the Vagrant Vagabond <laughs> and the That's Woodland so Alliance are the two we're deciding. That's right. Boy, if you have the vagabond it's going to be the longest chat log and if you have the woodland <laughs> alliance it's going to be the shortest chat log <laughs> yeah 
So come on and join us uh, as we, uh, PJ Darkar uh, started this whole shindig, but there's lots of, uh, lots of great people helping out here. Uh, SP Shaman, Wecker, I'm seeing, Bonsai, of course. It's a whole community effort. So um, yeah, come on and join. But also, I don't know if y'all know, but there was a little thing that happened called the Root Winter Tournament Final. Okay? Woo! It happened. It was a great game. I've got one qualm. Okay? Ooh, a qualm. I've got a full qualm here, and it's with one Mr. Garrick Samples. Uh oh. Okay. Oh. Garrick? Not here to defend himself. <laughs> Why do I have to get up at four in the morning to watch this game live, okay. Eric? <laughs> I'm sure there's some. I think there's Australians in the game or whatever. You're trying to make it good for them, but like, I'm sorry, Garrick. You live in Ohio. I shouldn't have to give it up at four in the morning to watch this game live. I couldn't do it. I couldn't bring myself to do it. Um. So, <laughs> do you yell at um particular like Fox Sports when they put soccer games on at four a.m. and you get up? <laughs> Are you happy to do that? Um, well, for the World Cup, I would do it, you know. Um, but still, they there's also like this is the World Cup of Root, you know what? This is the World Cup of Root. It is. All right, you're making good right? arguments. I'm just, <laughs> I just wanted to be there in chat because when I was watching, uh, I just watched it uh, uh, earlier today. Uh, it was a great game. I just like I couldn't interact. I couldn't be a part of yeah. the live chat, which yeah. is so exciting to do. And uh, obviously, you can't cater everything to any particular time zone. But hopefully, yeah. next next year I'll just be in the final. That's how I'll be able to control it. You know what I mean? I guess I got to put up or shut up here. <laughs> um, but let's get into the game a little bit. Uh, it was a fantastic game played on the winter map, if you'd believe it. That's right. And we had our four finalists were Over the Morrow, Glandor Hooverstein, Root Woo. Manuvis, and Aquaman Boss. Wow. Um, Good group. Yeah. Stacked group. Aquaman Boss back-to-back -back finalists. We got Aquaman Boss as the Badgers, Root Manuvis as the Moles, Glandor Hooverstein as the Vagabond, specifically the Ronin. And over the morrow as the lizards. So this game started out where the Badgers, uh, played by Aquaman boss, got out to a really fast lead. Like the gamble was on turn three. They got to 15 points so fast. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> and the rest of the group was still trying to find their footing. Meanwhile, over the morrow as the lizards kind of went thin lizards and started to put gardens in just like key choke point clearings, preventing the inevitable Rule. badger migration across the map. Mm. Yeah, sort of using those gardens, which rule their clearing, to uh, kind of like box out the, the badgers, to kind of contain them in their half of the board, which is a really cool strategy. And the thing that allowed the lizards to go for this play uh, was that both lizards and vagabond kind of like squashed the moles in their first turn we had like double convert from the lizards using yeah. those first two acolytes and like the, <laughs> the vagabond battling the moles on their turn one and they just decided to like stop the snowball before it even gets started and that gave them some room to like set up basically against the badgers and i, I don't know i mean it was sort of a weird way to like respond to like how would you describe this mix Sam, it's it's sort of 
two really slow factions and two really fast factions kind of duking it out. Badgers and Molds being the fast ones. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah, and Badgers were racing and Molds got checked early, which I think is the right call. I mean, I tried to do this in last year's final where I was like, whoever is choosing Moles, we're going to come after you. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And yeah, that we're didn't deleting work. this from the board. Like, <laughs> Yeah, and it was Aquaman boss uh, as the Moles, Ooh. and it, it didn't work. Uh, you right. know, the Moles did just fine in that game. Didn't end up winning, but uh, got very close. But yeah, in, in this one, they did a good job of checking the Moles early, and then yeah then it became this weird badgers versus lizards situation and right the lizards... so there's almost like some space opened up for the badgers in a way because of like all the ch- the kind of checking attention went towards the moles early so it gave the badgers time to set up and like get that that first burst of points hit 15 really quick badgers got very fortunate with their flips they did a couple risky positions and just got the twos and ones, you know, and it allowed their uh, retinue to stay intact. Um, and then lizards were doing this thing that, and I love this game so much, y'all. I love Root <laughs> because I feel like we've all been watching Root games for years and years at this point. We've played over 100 games and you look at it and you're like, I don't think that's a good idea. And that thing that you feel that way about is the thing that wins the person the game. <laughs> and I just, yeah. I, I can't believe it keeps happening. You know, I, I remember watching Kyle's game. We've talked about the the Woodland Alliance uh, getting into a ball, marching, doing some attacks, but then it repositioned them on the other side of the board. And I feel like it's kind of the opposite with the Lizards here where they spread themselves thin to put down some gardens to hem in the Badgers even though the Badgers did craft um, boat builders and right. Corvid planners yes, eventually. Yeah. <laughs> um, Corvid planners is so good for them. Yeah. And, you know, kind of, but at that point, there were so few Badgers. And, like, the Badgers had a very suited battle delve. They had, like, three rabbit cards in that column and so it really limited where the kind of main actions were going to take place and eventually the lizards pull it out (laughs) over the morrow pulls off the victory after over the morrow they specifically said 15 minutes before the match starts somebody manifest lizards for me they called their shot they babe ruthed it okay (laughs) and they won the tournament as the lizards Amazing. I mean, and also, big shouts to everyone in the game. You all played great, and you all played a game that was under three hours. Which... That's so <laughs> impressive. I got up at 6.30 because I had to watch uh, the kid in the morning, and I turned it on. I was like, oh, wait, it's over? <laughs> <laughs> Dang it. That's crazy. Yeah. I hadn't got a chance to see it, so uh, thank you so much for that recap. That's amazing. What yeah. a great game. It was a really good one. Worth watching, and it's not a long one. You can go back and rewatch it. It's worth watching. Real fun. It's currently, if you are listening to this podcast right when the episode drops, it's on Garrick's Twitch channel, but I don't have a link for it on its YouTube because it's not posted there yet. It should be there in the next week or so. Yeah. Well, you know, the real moral of the story here is that uh, the Lizards in their starting hand were able to grab uh, rabbit dominance and they were able to start scoring on their first turn. So once again, rabbit dominance, rabbit dominance. is the best card in the game confirmed. Mm-hmm. They did <laughs> score with rabbit dominance on the turn they won. That is true. Uh, so you're pretty real quick, Sam, you're pretty uh, scared of thin Lizzie's traditionally. Has this uh, rewired any uh, circuits in your brain on that? You know, I think 
I think I gotta start trying this. Um, what was, I think, the, what I was think the defining feature of this? Like, how did it work optimally uh, or what? Well, I think what was key was that Over the Morrow saw the writing on the wall, which was the Badgers are going to have to cross over here at some point, and they were going to make it as difficult on them as possible. And there wasn't... I mean, none of those factions are big, attacky ones. There's no Warlord or Eerie or even, like, otters who were going to come in and totally decimate something. Yeah. So spreading your liabilities out kind of proved to be the the winning play. Well, especially when they're required to rule in order to delve, right? Right. So, so they can actually to. move in there with, with the rule because they had uh, Corvid planners, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah. And they could battle in there because there's no problem. But they still didn't rule because one pesky garden was still around. Yeah. And think about it, too. Like, the Vagabond is not ruling any clearings. The moles may be spread out a little bit, but they're not really going to be trying to, like, get out there and build a bunch. Right. And the badgers are, I mean, granted, they can make buildings. You can get a bunch of warriors plopped down on the map. But they start pretty localized in one area. And they hate battling early in the game because they just don't have the numbers until, like, about the mid-game. So it's kind of the perfect environment to go thin Lizzie's if... If you know from a certain angle, there's just no competition for those building slots. You can kind of pick where you're going to get set up. A conversation that happened in the game that kind of was the uh, a shifting moment in my thinking was they were discussing how do we check the lizards. That's a conversation <laughs> they needed to have. Whereas previously, like it's like there or there and this one makes more sense right like when you when you choose your key clearings you eliminate the the dirty work of having to choose how yeah. or where really well it's also winter right which is yeah. a little bit sparse and also so let me remember winter also has is that one shared forest up top yeah which can yes, have up the to mega two right so the badgers don't have to traverse all up in there so unless the moles are popping up there the lizards can kind of sprout up wherever they want a little bit and not have to worry. Like, it doesn't take much, I guess. Right. Yeah. And the lizards had gardens, I think, in like five or six clearings. That's crazy. You know? And it's like, yeah, what do you do about that? You know? Yeah. Um, and he's just going to get acolytes when protecting him. All right. Yeah. Well, congrats. Love that story. Uh, eager to watch it now. Yeah. Congrats over the morrow. A well-deserved win. Great game. Great tournament in general. And thanks again to Garrick and Lily for... Doing the tournament, it makes all of our year. Uh, and happy winter to all those who celebrate. <laughs> At four in the morning, Pacific Standard Time. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Hey, friends. Future Jake here. Glandor Hooverstein, friend of the pod, mentioned to us that we should make a shout out to Zeraus, who's an artist on the Woodland Warriors Discord, creating some evocative art from many of the games of the semifinals. I'll put a link to their finals picture in the description, but you can head on over to the Woodland Warriors Discord for more. All right, back to the show. All right. Today's episode, uh, we are talking about counterintuitive strategies and roots. Yes. And I wonder if Thin Lizzie's is going to come up. Um, it's, it's something that we wanted to touch on. We do guides here where we kind of say like, what is a strategy that works kind of like overall in most situations, but today we're going to kind of talk one counterintuitive strategy per faction that, you know, uh, that might kind of go against the conventional grain as you were. So like, 
here's an example. Like, is small mole a counterintuitive strategy? I think so, right? Because it feels like by the default actions of the game, they assume you're going to build some buildings. <laughs> yeah, and they give you them. Yeah, you look at your player board. You've got these tokens sitting around. It's like, okay, great. I should be digging tunnels. I should be building buildings. You're incentivized to do buildings because they have a benefit, namely card draw for markets, which feels like a big deal to the moles when you're first learning the board, right? right. Yeah. I remember when we first got uh, the Underworld expansion, Kyle and I were like, you can draw three c cards on the first turn with the moles. And we're like, that's broken. Like, that is the greatest opening of all time, you know? But since we know that, like, you shouldn't put a building down until you absolutely have to. Uh, right. Um, I think it is counterintuitive a little bit. I, yeah. I think definitely upon Underworld's release, of course it's a counterintuitive strategy. Because, yeah, like you said, they give you buildings. But at this point... The accepted meta is that you don't, you know what I mean? At least for the first few turns. Yeah, instead of using your actions to build buildings that put your engine online, instead you use those actions to just recruit single moles to the burrow. Like, how is that a strategy? <laughs> yeah. And yet, it kind of like prevents people from coming after you so hard early in the game. And then once your snowball starts, it's kind of impossible to stop. So it was sort of like people were getting away from the sort of knee-jerk, kind of like short-term gain, long-term failure approach, and instead kind of reverse engineering their understanding of the faction's like outlook and strategy so that it, it actually does work. And that's definitely against what you might think with, uh, upon opening the box, you know? <laughs> yeah. And what a lot of these counterintuitive strategies involve is opening up some liability, a lot of our guides and I think a lot of the conventional wisdom in the game is to limit your liability, which is why small mole has become the kind of like de facto strategy, right? Because you don't pay the price of failure. Exactly. Yeah. You don't, you never have to pay the price if you never put down a building or put down a building only when you're ready to, you know, prevent that from happening. But you're saying the strategies that we're talking about today are small mole in their nature and that they limit liability no or it's the opposite that yes. they open up a liability at the risk of doing something novel right right okay most of them the first one we're yeah. going to talk about is not but okay. a lot of them uh towards the end are all about you know the reason why you haven't done this is because you know better but i'm here <laughs> to tell you there's situations where you could uh kind of do a little bit more than you can think so okay. I love this. There's a, a sort of analog of this in the chess world, which is like different gambits, mm -hmm. uh, different kind of openings that people play that are, you know, if you if you're a computer engine, you never play the like whatever the um, Queen's Indian defense anymore because it's like solved and you get crushed. But like if you're a human being, sometimes you can get away with playing these sort of weirder like the Albin counter gambit and like, you know, these weird lines that people maybe aren't familiar with and might play suboptimally against. And you're taking a risk that your opponent might really know what they're doing and be able to handle it. But also, you could be creating exactly the opportunity you need to win the game. See uh, the root final uh, just a, min a moment ago. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, it was funny. I was writing up this guide, watching it, and I'm like, oh, wow, we are going thin Lizzie's here in the final. <laughs> like, this is wild. Like, this is great for this episode. Um, okay. So the first one we're going to talk about is for the Marquise de Cat. Ever heard of it? And it is uh, placing your starting workshop in a fox clearing. Record scratch. Um, 
So this is the coolest strategy. Yeah, this is what the I'm cool gonna... kids do, and now this yeah. is what I do. Uh, this is going to become the small mole, is my guess. Is like this one's the lightest in the counterintuitive strategy. So what is it? Simply, it's placing workshops in fox clearings. You know, right. you put your first you one there. You want to kind of rush up the fox crafting tech tree, basically. Yes, yes. And why is it fringe? Well, uh, especially in the base game, if we were refer to the original root strategy guide written by Tristan, it was you put your workshops in rabbit clearings because, first of all, that's where the crafting points are, right? Right. Because you get access to coins if you build another you know, rabbit workshop, but also the uh, rabbit action cards of like cobbler, better burrow bank and command Warren were very helpful for the cats who had a very limited action pool. Exactly. And because crafting costs were so expensive, really what the goal was is to get two rabbit crafters. That was kind of your workshop strategy, kind of a one as the yeah. cats with the base deck. Yeah. So what's good about putting it in the fox clearing? Um, well, you can craft the anvil, which is good, you know, in the crossbow. So you still have some crafting points, albeit not as much. Um, but actually more on that first base level, if you're not going to build another workshop, you have access to more crafting points. One fox opens up a number of possibilities. Yeah. Which is which is kind of amazing. I mean, you do obviously, you can craft the crossbow for a point, which is nice. Yeah. The, the, yeah, the anvil for two. Uh, and false orders. You get access yes. to the card false orders, which is huge. Uh, yeah. If you get another fox crafter, you're talking about getting swords and eerie emigre, which is Very basically important. cobbler and command warren combined. Right. So you can see that even even in the new deck here, the kind of like action having card of eerie emigre is actually in fox now. And the rabbit yes, ones are right. what? Charm offensive swap meat? They're more like card focused rather than action focused exactly yeah so the, the good thing about rabbit in the base deck is it opens up actions for the marquise well fox is going to be is going to be kind of serving that same purpose in the e and p deck essentially yeah there's also informants which you could craft for two fox mm -hmm. and there's a slightly underrated strategy of pulling the bird ambush oh, uh, yeah. every evening and then just hanging on to it in case you need to use it, and then just spending it for an action, knowing you'll get it back. Yeah. Ooh. Yeah. That's pretty solid. So why did this uh, you know, counterintuitive strategy take so long to catch on? I think we've identified it already. It's kind of the, the change in the deck, really. Yeah. It's that with Exiles and Partisans, this one fox crafter, or eventually two fox crafters, turns out to be a lot smoother of a path for the cats is like crafting tech tree as you put it kyle i want to provide a counter example and see yeah. what you make of it okay it sounds like the main reason we want to go fox is for false orders and for extra actions through eerie emigrate basically mm -hmm. that, that's like the top two best things about the fox crafting sort of tree mm -hmm. what about mouse because in the enp deck we have the League of Adventurous Mice, which lets you exhaust an item in order to take uh, a move or a battle one time during daylight. Uh, and as we know, mouse, uh, you have the ability to craft a lot of items using mouse crafting power. All the items. So that kind of combination would give the cats access to additional actions as well. So what makes Fox sort of like better than mouse when you sort of are looking at it from that angle? I do think that 
uh, it comes down to that's just kind of like a multi-tiered situation, right? You have to get League of Adventurous Mice and then at least a bag or a tea to get one item. Now, I, I think that mouse crafting is totally legitimate, but I think the access to false orders... Dude, false orders. ...is the it's, best card in the deck. It's one fox. That's crazy. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and especially for the cats. Like, cats, if yeah. I'm going to... If I'm going to have to uproot somebody, which is already a bad situation, if you got false orders, now it's a real thing. Like, I can actually spend my turn moving and attacking and attacking again, maybe spending a bird card to build there. You know what I mean? Um, and that false order is just going to make that a lot smoother. But I, I do think that there's a, a shout for mouse crafting as well. No, I think you're right. False orders is game saving, potentially, for the cats. Mm -hmm. So when should we employ this strat? Um, I think this is like a whenever. This isn't very situational. I think that like, look at your opening hand. What do you think? You know? <laughs> um, and especially if like putting a workshop in a rabbit clearing would cause you, t your other starting buildings to be in a suboptimal position, then it's just a no brainer. Like Fox is kind right. of the path of least resistance at this point. Yeah. And the nice thing about, uh, especially if you're using ad set to get set up as the cats You'll, you'll have some flexibility with where you're going to place uh, your buildings, your starting buildings. Mm -hmm. And if there's like a slightly central fox clearing, uh, it's great to be able to place the workshop, the kind of least valuable building, uh, in sort of a an exposed or slightly risky position uh, on your startup. And yeah, I think there's a lot of like harmony with starting in fox and, uh, you know, the cool kids are doing it and just go yeah, do it. The cool kids are doing it. <laughs> If the cool kids were putting a workshop in a rabbit clearing, would you do it? <laughs> yes, but only you wouldn't could... steal a car. <laughs> you wouldn't build in mouse. <laughs> All right. Our next kind of counterintuitive strategy here is pretty funny. A listener suggested this one is Corvid's plotting for effect. <laughs> and what I mean by that is when you plot based on how advantageous your plot's effect will be. Which, this one's kind of fun, because it's like a counter-counterintuitive strategy. Yes. You mean no, no, no bluffing? No. Essentially playing it for what it would be optimal there? <laughs> yeah. Put the bomb in the crowded clearing? <laughs> yeah, exactly. This is such a, like, Princess Bride <laughs> exactly. strategy. You know what I mean? <laughs> <laughs> um, all right, so why is this strategy, like, a fringe strategy? Well, because often the first plot your opponent will guess is the one that's the most optimal for you, right? <laughs> um, and it will impact them the most, you know, whether you're, you know, getting uh, cards from their hand or blowing their stuff up or, or trapping it in a clearing or whatever. And what's good about it is that you get actual value out of the effects of your plot tokens. Hey, you get some cardboard points from blowing something up. <laughs> it's so funny. I've been playing a lot of Corvids lately and I always go... What's the worst one I could put here? And that's what I put there, you know, <laughs> except for like one, you know, in the game, I'll put one where I'm like, all right, I can get two cards with this extortion flip, you know? <laughs> How have your turn orders been happening? Because I figure that's like a real issue in the beginning of the game. Like if you're a late turn Corvid. Are you talking about like with ad set, people guessing that first plot? Mm -hmm. Yeah. If you are not going first... I I no longer put an extortion. I've been doing it a lot on digital. Uh, Kyle inspired me. I'm like, 
that's an extortion. <laughs> and it's like, it's a right guess. And you get it like every time. And you're like, oh. every single time. <laughs> Guys, yeah. if you're not going first, don't put an extortion down. <laughs> I think that's really important to understand for this counterintuitive strategy. It's like, well, it does, turn order is kind of important in like deploying this. But I guess you could also just go extortion. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's just the opening plot. But I know. I, mean, I, know. Yeah. I know it's one decision of many, but it is also a defining one a little bit. But yeah. yeah. All right, so why did this take so long to catch on? Um, because it's incredibly transparent and can result in your <laughs> opponent scoring off your obvious gambit. Your name is Conspiracy. <laughs> like, yeah. You have to have secrets. Yeah, it's like, oh, really? I only have one card in move, and it's a rabbit card, and you put a plot in my rabbit roost clearing. Hmm. <laughs> I wonder what it is. Uh, so anyway, yeah, it's... Uh, it's it's fun, uh, but when should you employ this strat? I I wrote when your group's meta has shifted away from this, <laughs> and putting a bomb in a clearing with lots of cardboard is the last thing they'll expect. Yeah, yeah, you gotta take your opponents in a on a like deep dark journey through like a forgotten wood, <laughs> and you know the path out is only wide enough for one a few times before then everyone starts to get suspicious about what you're placing. At that point, you can kind of come full circle and start to put optimal things down. If you're playing against just like a fresh board of, you know, new faces, there is no meta. You're just kind of playing a game route. I probably would not recommend this strategy <laughs> because it is so transparent. And if people don't know your deal or like have a meta, they're probably just going to try and be safe and conservative and guess the like thing that would hurt them the most. right? Yeah. Yeah. Bomb insurance. Exactly. Yeah. One thing that is nice about the strategy, though, is raid. Like, if you can make it so they can't expose you with it, or if, like, you know that the card limitations that your opponents have means exposure isn't a big deal, like, a plot like raid is going to pay off dividends yeah. no matter what meta is happening. Because if they battled away, you win. <laughs> like, if you, fly, if you reveal it, you win, you know? So, or I mean, you don't win, but you get points, and then it's it's there getting points for you continuously. Yeah. So, like, I feel like this can work in the in-between of metas contingent upon exposure, right? Yeah. A little bit? Yes. Yeah. Contingent on exposure, for sure. And also, if you have a string of plots that people guess incorrectly early in the game, <laughs> then you've kind of got a reputation, perhaps, as yeah. somebody who's being a little tricky about where you're putting yeah. your plots. And so then people will kind of catch on to that and be like, okay, cool. And I see you're not going to go for the A1 thing. You're trying to, like, be clever or whatever. But that's exactly when you switch to <laughs> plotting for to effect. standard gear. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I do love that. How often do y'all trick? I never trick. Literally never. I've tricked one time uh, a face-up extortion for a face-up snare. Okay, yeah, yeah. Face-up snare trick makes sense to me. Putting a raid into a more advantageous position makes some sense to me, too. But a whole action? I'm always just so... I know, that's true. The action so economy starved. is so low. Yeah. 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 Okay. I want to say something about using the raid for... Or, or using the, the plot for a crafting piece only and, like, not really caring about what it is. But it could be sort of fun if you start with the strategy... And this is more of, like, an over-the-board thing. But if you start with the strategy of just randomly placing plots... Yeah. Which I know is always sort of like in the mix of like Corvid metas. Mm -hmm. Just like, hey, I'm randomly picking. Like, don't try and read my mind. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> There's nothing there. I just picked it at random. 
But if you genuinely don't care is what you're saying? Yeah, exactly. It'd be, <laughs> it'd be so hard to switch to plots for effect. So I guess choosing randomly, start that way at your own peril, because as soon as you start to like add thought to it or whatever, it's gonna the game's going to be up. I think I might just start going alphabetically. <laughs> you know, I have a system, but it's not a system that makes sense to anyone. And so it'll be very hard to guess. That's a brilliant idea. <laughs> Thank That's you. a brilliant idea. <laughs> okay, moving on. We've got an Eerie Dynasties counterintuitive strategy. This one, y'all might remember, is called Builder Jim. Hey. What? <laughs> this is a strategy? Hey. <laughs> it's valid. Um, so what is it? it me- it's starting with the builder leader. And remember, the builder leader doesn't start with a card in build. Yeah, it's recruit, <laughs> recruit and move. move? Yeah. yeah. Which is pretty, It's pretty good. Those pretty are pretty good actually. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Just flexible. Yeah. Um why is this a fringe strategy? Uh, oh, well because- that's easy cuz you have to get OSHA certification for like everything. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh. Yeah, the red tape for Builder Jim. It's <laughs> It sucks, you know. Katie almost opened with it and I suggested against it for her first game, yeah. but then she like crafted two items. I was like, "Oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> Cause she, she did the, I think, which is one of the counterintuitive things. Like even when you don't have builder is still, still craft occasionally if you want to, because you're denying the points yeah. from the others, even if you're only getting one and it worked out for her. She actually really denied some of us those things, but she had pitched builder and in retrospect, she probably should have taken it given her hand. And I just didn't give myself that information when advising her. So yeah. like fun problem. Yeah. But, um, so I'm surprised to hear this is working in other levels. Yeah. Not first games. Um, here's something that Builder, you know, Builder really only affects three items, right? T, coins, and the anvil. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yes. Uh, and so if you had crafted every item in the whole shop, okay, something no one's ever done, uh, you'd only score an extra nine points, which actually feels like a lot of points, but really four of those are coming from coins. And so it right. really comes down to, do you have coins? Right? Like, that's where the value is. Yeah. You know, getting extra value is obviously what's good about it. And I would only advise it if you got multiple high-value items in your hand or maybe in the river folks' hand that you feel comfortable that you can craft. Right? Yeah. Makes sense. Also, you have to have a bird card for build because we can't forget about that. I'm going to pitch something to you, Sam, which is... Is Builder Jim worth going for if you start with zero items in hand? No. Because aren't you going to be dumping those cards into the decree anyway? And wouldn't you want them to be, like, out in the wild? I think here's here's your opening three-card hand for Builder. You have a bird card. Mm-hmm. And then you have a T or, or, like, two Ts would be pretty good. Or a coins and a... And, or two coins <laughs> <laughs> or two bird cards or something yeah because or maybe you can see in the river folk hand that there's something um and you also have to remember you got to get these roosts down to craft the coins so right. you're going to want to start in a rabbit one so uh, it's just very situational is why this thing hasn't caught on truthfully the other bird leaders are going to give you a lot more value out of the gate with the exception of commander I think that Builder is a better opener than Commander, but Commander does provide some like mid to late game value that Builder Jim really doesn't give you. 
Builder Jim's like m- is the most useful at the beginning and is the third most useful to start the game. Did you mention yeah. sword in your items? Oh, sword! Right, 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 right. Swords. Okay, so yeah, here's your opening hand. You got a bird. You start in a fox clearing. You got a bird card to put into build, and then you got anvil and swords, and you're gonna get mm. two extra points for that very <laughs> narrow window. <laughs> It is car. It's hand dependent, is what we're saying. Yeah, it's really the situation why it hasn't caught on. Because like, I mean, I mean it's a fun can... opening. Go ahead. Like decree. It's sorry. I was just saying it's a fun opening decree, right? Like it, it makes it doable without having to go battle away folks constantly if you don't need to do that or can't do it because they're denying you the ability to. It's just that like despot, right? Also yeah. doesn't give us that recruit, right? That's we still true. have to put more cards into recruit as despot, just like we would with builder. But if Despot battles one piece of cardboard, boom, that's the two points we were just talking about. <laughs> yeah, and it's also the added benefit of removing opponent's cardboard. Yeah. Which is yeah. always good. Yeah. I, I wanna I wanna see if we can make this even better. Okay. Cause I think with Builder, like the goal is to make up for lost time in a way. Yeah. Right? If you're gonna open with a strategy. So like, what are some ways to I guess, like, improve on the model. Because in my mind, if you're just trying to get out to an early lead from crafting items, like, that's just a recipe for, like, the the tallest blade of grass gets cut first. You sure. know what I mean? Sure. People are going to gang up on you. What, one thing I was thinking about was Builder Jim relies on card wealth and kind of card advantage in order to make up those, like, points that you would have gotten from being, like, charismatic or whatever or from battling cardboard as the despot so it might be interesting to start builder jim in a rabbit clearing and craft like swap meat on turn one and then like charm offensive and you know these try and find ways to uh make your card advantage calculus uh, a lot better because i i don't know maybe that would lead to more points like later in the game uh, just like an overall healthier balance Dude, an early swap meet is amazing. Oh, I 100%. love a turn one swap meet. Yeah, that's that's such a great suggestion, especially because it's it's bird song, right? So yeah. that's before you even need to add to the decree. Yeah, I think that that that's a shout. I think you're playing the slot machine a little bit there, Kyle. Definitely, definitely. But um, you know, and also it's just like, well, if you want to go card wealth, you could also just go double build. Yeah, that is true. But double build is a fine is a t- is a clock, right? Yeah. I mean, sometimes you can't afford the clock. <laughs> I don't know. Double build is is riskier than this in a way, right? Oh, yeah. Well, you're going to lose, you know. I mean, you, yeah, it's a clock that you can afford, but I, mean, I don't know. My analogy isn't making sense, but. <laughs> <laughs> this clock know, is double... <laughs> in your price range. <laughs> I don't know. Like, double build is is a sabotage a little bit, right? But it's it's the engine's rolling pretty quick out the gate. Man, double build builder Jim is like. <laughs> you that's a hat on a hat. You know what I mean? <laughs> You'd have to go. That'd have to be turn two. You start double building with with Builder Jim. Sure, right? But unless my destiny's fulfilled. <laughs> okay, hold on. Starting a mouse. Cl- no, no, you can't do it. Can't do it. <laughs> you have to like buy a card from the River Folk or something. Yeah, 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 yeah. Oh yeah, or you scenarios. can just buy a- no because you can only add two, and you got to move twice and build twice. Mercenaries. Mercenaries. There it is. Mercenaries. Okay. Okay. <laughs> okay. <laughs> enough uh, Enough nonsense about Builder Jim. 
Our next counterintuitive strategy we got here is the Woodland Alliance Ball, okay? So what this is, is like you get lots of officers and then lots of meeples on the board, okay? We're really using our entire supply here. And we have a migrating ball of mice moving and dropping sympathy and possibly, if need be, leaving bases undefended. Whoa. Bases undefended? We've seen it. We've seen it before. But if you're yeah. getting lots of officers and you lose, is it half of them? You lose half yes. of them. Round it up. It's um, unforgiving. And Jake, I think you're already pointing out, why is this fringe? Uh, because yeah, okay, yeah. <laughs> you usually want to spread sympathy and save your organizing for like the nearby clearings. You know, we all know how to play the Woodland Alliance, okay? Yeah. And But what's good about this is this is your best way of breaking free of getting like locked into a corner. Right. The idea here is hopefully parking that mouse ball on a clearing that you know you can revolt in next turn. Right. Ah, okay. And holding on to cards that you can then refill your officer pool with. Okay. Um, obviously, this is not like a very sustainable or efficient use of our resources, um, but it's a lot better than the alternative of just running into a wall and not being able to spread and not being able to kind of get to that final level of the game. Yeah. I feel like this is almost like a, a tactic, not necessarily a strategy in a way. I think that's probably right. But the thing I like about it is that this is uh, like a freeing move. You know, Mm -hmm. you, you, after pulling something like this off, you know, forming a, a, an alliance, kind of ball of warriors and moving around no one expects you to do that and so almost no one is prepared for it and once it happens like you mentioned if you're set up to like recover in in case you need to lose a base or like whatever uh this can really turn the game on its head this guy's crazy (laughs) that's interesting i've definitely used it in the past to like basically jailbreak myself in a game if I'm playing as the Woodland Alliance and I'm kind of like getting camped on or someone's created a cordon of martial law that I can't break through, uh, it's it's one way to sort of get around that. A pretty unusual and like sort of shocking way to do that. Um, but I've, I've used it to, I would say, some effect. Um, setting modest goals for this sort of uh, tactic is important. <laughs> The the key, your key being, it's only a tactic, not a strategy, right? It's yeah, one, it, it it's gets a one time thing, right? It bridges you to the second stage of the game sure. if you're being kind of like squashed. But we also saw it in my tournament game from this year. Yeah, yeah, right. <laughs> the winners bracket tur- tournament game, uh, where the alliance player marched across half the map with a giant right. ball of warriors, leaving their base <laughs> undefended, and ended up winning the game (laughs) (laughs) yeah Uh, and it's interesting you know you could see a world where you're moving the ball and organizing in clearings that are going to match where you're going to end up and end up revolting in so that you get get those christmas land Land revolts yeah so i think that this yeah i think you're right kyle this is a tactic you can't you can do this once Maybe twice. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> if you're yeah, yeah, feeling, you got to really pick your moment to do it. Yeah, because yeah. like you said, it's not sustainable. Right. Yeah, you're not gonna 
generate a ton of points by doing this. You want to use those supporters, and you don't want to lose half your officers every other turn. So, um, but yeah, like we said, it's it's better than just dying in a corner. So. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, this is a cool <laughs> way to solve a problem that the alliance can definitely run into. Yeah, yeah, especially if you think about moments on the winter or lake map. Um, that's where I would keep my eyes out for something like this, especially. Okay. Are we ready for a, a doozy? <laughs> let's let's do it. Let's, let's doozy it up. It's called Dividend Otters. Boo! <laughs> it, this is another one uh, like uh, the, the Corvids where it's like, so the counterintuitive thing here is to do what your board says. <laughs> Like, you know, to to use your whole faction. Here's the thing that's so crazy about this. I feel like dividends is one of those things where, like, so you get your player board as the otters, and you're like, okay, cool, I'm going to, like, be moving these funds around, I'm going to be, like, acting and, like, drawing cards and, you know, battling stuff. And I feel like it's only on your second game that you're like, oh, wait, there's another way to get points here. Let's like, let's look at the fine print. Oh, dividends, eh? Oh, that sounds like a clever thing to try. And it just like totally doesn't work. Yeah. So I feel like this is already like a secondary strategy for the otters, even upon reading them. It's so forgotten. We have to actually, we have to talk about it. Okay. <laughs> we have right. to define it. Score dividends happens. It's the middle of Birdsong, right? It's uh, after protectionism. Yeah. Score dividends. If there are any trade posts on the map, score one victory point per two funds. And remember, funds aren't in what's been committed to or what's the other status? Payment. Payments. Yeah. Yeah. They're just chilling there. You didn't use them to draw cards. You didn't use them to move around. Yeah. Tap any trade posts. They're just, you're saving them. Yeah. Putting them in your savings account. And the reason why this is like a fringe strategy is because, and this is the first of many we're going to get into, we're introducing an unnecessary liability to our game. Specifically, you could lose half of those funds if that trade post is destroyed or any trade post is destroyed. Right. So you could, um, (laughs) it's just so funny because it's like in one game mode, you're moving, you're battling, you're recruiting, you're dropping trade posts, you're drawing cards. And the other one, you don't do a lot of those things, <laughs> and you could get screwed for it. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. You just chill and pray, basically. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, what's good about this thing? Well, we're getting passive points that are growing right. steadily, okay? Yeah. And we are making up that point gap that we need to make up uh, uh, of getting, you know, because we can only get 18 points from trade posts, right? So if we're like, where are those other 12 points going to come from? I'm like, oh, well, here we got some dividends going on, right? Right. Why it took so long for this to be a strategy we're talking about is because it is very easy to stop. All you have to do is take out the trade post. They lose half their funds and basically all of their momentum. You can see yeah. it coming from a mile away, too. It's like, okay, yeah. well, that's what's happening, and there's how to stop it. Yeah. Okay, so cool. It's Birdsong. I'm going to collect all my stuff. Great. I'm going to draw one card, and then um, I'm going to go ahead and end my turn. <laughs> yeah. It's like owning a bank and putting an ad in the paper and saying, we just have a bunch of deposits this week. Here's our address. <laughs> so what's what's the actual score curve on dividends otters? Because at a certain point, it becomes an unstoppable scoring mechanism, right? Well, I mean, other than just take out the trade posts and then it's very stoppable. It's okay, one, sure, it's, sure. Isn't it one, it's one point for two funds. Yeah. Right. 
And protectionism will generate two funds every turn. Ooh. Right. So you can start by, I mean, after you drop a trade post. Right. Turn one, drop trade post, two points. Right. And you draw one card. Right. Right. So you got five otters on the trade post. Yeah, that's turn one. Yeah. (laughs) Turn two, you don't score dividends. Hopefully, you get at least two more warriors. So now you've got three. Yeah. If you made any purchases, you're going to want to try and sell some some stuff. But at minimum, you're going to get one point from dividends on your third turn. Yeah. Then two. Great. And then three. And then four. Which is like 10 by turn five. <laughs> yeah, 10 <laughs> points by turn five. Which is not... Is that fast enough? That's not fast enough to win the game, no. And you're not doing much on the board, right? You're, you're Hopefully, you're doing nothing. That's what I'm saying. It's like you're yeah. not affecting the, your, your opponents in any way. No, but or I, I've, I've done a lot of exploring of this strategy. And let me tell you, people just don't like it. Even though we just pointed out here, that is not fast enough to get close to winning the game it's turn five you're at 12 points maybe you've crafted something to get to 13 yeah isn't everyone else at like 20 by this point because you've done nothing to stop them <laughs> yeah and uh if people are just being shrewd you only have your own warriors as payments so then you're like right you have to spend one to move then or commit one to move spend two to drop a trade post commit one to move spend two to drop a trade post you can do that like three times at that point for like six more points. It's not a good way to win the game, but I have (laughs) never even gotten to turn four without somebody being like, I'm popping that trade post. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, no, it's, it's a very sitting duck, like kind of approach for sure. Yeah. I mean, we've probably hashed this out at some point before, but like, is there a way to like work dividends in, or is this just like a totally, I don't, scuffed approach. Here's the thing. We're we just did that whole example assuming no payments, right? Right. If we get one buy in our first like two turns or like one buy on each of our first two turns, all of a sudden that dividends is actually paying off pretty good, right? It's like 3 then 4 then 5 then 6, right? Oh, okay, right. Yeah. That's, that's my question is like does this depend on like the hand you're selling or if you're if you've somehow convinced I mean, it's not somehow. If you've convinced them that buying river boats river boats <laughs> is advantageous to their position if you you know tell the badgers that's what they need yeah to get around you know i feel like i feel like obviously it's like to make this strategy work you have to be in the utmost salesperson right I and think... like to talk them into like yeah we all agree dividends is bad so i'm gonna troll try it and it's, we're all fine with that <laughs> like, i don't know the issue is as soon as people see that you're doing dividends first of all they just hate you for it but Secondly, they know that when they pay you something, they're never getting it back. Yeah. Yeah. So it really cramps your style as a salesperson. But when should we try it? Uh, well, early on in the game, I think I think your first like few turns of just trying to sell stuff and getting a couple passive points to make up that gap is not the worst use of your time. Um, uh, also, you can against like some passive opponents you know if you know you're not going to get punished for it if you got like cats and lizards those are both factions that uh have a lot of warriors and don't like to battle so those are good factions to try to sell a couple wares and then it turns out that you're trying dividends this game you know and positioning would be important as well like if you can pick a corner clearing for the river 
yeah. and set up there, make it inaccessible. Like that's going to be a, a good way to get a head start on a dividends play. Mm-hmm. Um, which factions are like absolute no nos to try this against? Uh, probably the Lord of Hundreds for several reasons. <laughs> sure, like the mob token. Right? Like, it's like, okay, got, you know, now I have to break up one of my pairs of dividends to battle this mob token, you know? Yes. Or, God forbid, they throw three warriors on a mob token, and now what are you going to do? You're (laughs) going to move and drop another trade post? Like, yeah. Any interruption to the dividends immediately makes it so that you've already wasted your time. (laughs) Sure. (laughs) That's what's so devastating about it. Yeah. Okay. Anything else on dividends? Yeah, just false orders is like a nightmare. Yeah, you're right. <laughs> for this strategy. <laughs> yeah, false orders will just totally toast you. I was just going to say, like, yeah, playing against the cats is probably your best bet, but if they're going for fox crafting, like, <laughs> right. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we should own, We should do a game where only counterintuitive strategies. <laughs> yeah, that'd be fun. Um, okay, let's talk about Citadel or swole mole, or as yes. someone in our Discord said, murder moles. <laughs> um, this is obviously building citadels, just like as many as you can, and overwhelming your opponent with your warrior generation. This is really good because if you have all the citadels built, you get six moles per turn for free. This is kind of an intuitive strategy uh, in a way, right? Yes, because yes. you get that board and you're like, I don't care about these markets. I want to get my troops on the field. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah, it's we talked about this as a viable strategy in our moles guide. And it is it is. I would say the reason why it's fringe is because you're introducing an unnecessary liability to your game. (laughs) Well, a liability. It is. I guess it's unnecessary because you don't have to build them. But like to employ the strategy, you need to build. Right. Like Like, what what do you need warriors for? To defend this is a war buildings. game, Sam. To, d- to defend what, Kyle? To defend the buildings that you've built. <laughs> right, right, exactly. <laughs> to disrupt the, your opponents, too. It is still, like, the concept of, like, you yes. have to be interactive. This isn't a Euro. Like, I, I, I'm not trying to stipulate, I'm not trying to split hairs, but I am I am uh, curious as to what you mean by an unnecessary liability. Right, right. I think that's a great point, Jake, right? Like, don't I need to interrupt my opponents? And it's like, yeah. If you weren't so good at racing. <laughs> well, additionally, like, do you need to or are, are where yeah. you are at currently even beneficial to do so? Or are your opponents like kind of hitting each other? Right. You know, are your opponents occupied somehow? Yeah. They shouldn't. They shouldn't be. They should be focusing on you but because you're the most. Right. I, yeah. So if we're kind of going to like, when would you do this? Mm-hmm. I think it's like you have to read the carnage on the wall. <laughs> you know, like if you got an eerie warlord and harrier game, like they're not going to let your little solo molos survive. Like your idea of just like, oh, I'm just going to be kind of on the board enough to sway my whole engine and then I'll like get onto the board. Yeah. Um, that's not going to work if everyone's really battle hungry and wanting to take out your moles and they know what you're doing. Then you're going to have to commit like, OK, well, I am going to be an army this time and i'm gonna have the actions and the warriors to do it yeah it's it's interesting to think about for swole mole because at least with ad set the moles starting kind of deployment is pretty light yep like their starting forces are very spread out and not uh that durable 
and so they just they don't have the the numbers to protect a building if there's any pressure at all. <laughs> yeah. So I think there's kind of a catch twenty two with Citadel Swomo, which is if you go for it right away, the benefit is you're recruiting more every turn, so you have a better chance of defending it by the time everyone's online. But if you do it right away, suddenly now you're a huge target that everyone's <laughs> going to immediately go for. So it's like, okay, great. I'll just like recruit uh, for my first turn and then I'll like get some warriors there and then I'll start to build up. And it's like, by that point, Citadel Suomo is like too far behind economically, mm-hmm. which could be sort of dangerous. So I, I kind of see this as like a gambit almost. Like if you do it early, that's when you can most maximize that like warrior advantage. But it's pretty risky right yeah the exact situation you need it is the riskiest time to do it <laughs> right yeah. yeah yeah but if you can manage it if you can kind of keep yourself alive with the citadel intact for like even one turn and move those moles into defend like you're good yeah you're gonna you're gonna be turtled up like crazy immediately yeah you won't have to waste those first two actions on recruiting like you do when you go small, right? Right. right. When you go no you buildings, you have to put moles out there with your yeah. actions, whereas this, you're just going to get a passive army every turn if you can get to that point. Right. Right. Right, right, right. Yeah, it's interesting. Why did it take so long to catch on? Um... The price uh, of failure. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, it feels like this is also really contingent upon, like, can they stop you? Like, I know I cited earlier yeah. of, like, your opponents fighting each other, but maybe you've isolated yourself uh, positionally in the in the woodland, right? And so you've gotten just enough moles to stabilize those citadels and protect them. It's like it's going to be a crusade for them to really, like, make it happen. So you can kind of slow roll yourself and then – make up an army to go disrupt even though you don't have the the best action economy you have the you have no need to keep recruiting beyond what's standard i don't know i don't you know i don't think that like i guess building is your actions right, right. yeah yeah that's the difficult part is that you, you need to reveal sway. a card once you get brigadier like your action troubles are gone <laughs> like right and that's like you can sway pretty quick after you get yeah. swole yeah as the saying goes in the gym i don't know i feel like yeah I love that this is both intuitive and counterintuitive. Like it's it's intuitive in the way that the faction was designed and counterintuitive in the way the meta's developed. <laughs> yeah. It's very impressive in that way. Very much. Yeah. Well, I mean, the thing is as soon as you build a citadel, you've created a target on the board for people to fixate on. Yeah. Yes. And it's like if you think you can handle the heat, you have to really like calculate that, I feel like. Can the eerie get to me? are the cats going to really spend their first turn like coming in here to battle? How far away is the yeah, vagabond? What cat, I mean, what cat wants to? Like, no <laughs> one wants to have to go through that. Everybody's playing to the height, right? But, yeah. but, but as we've also noticed in the finals game, everybody knows what moles do systematically, even regardless of their strategy, which is they get rolling. And so yeah. the stopping them early is the meta. So... Uh, I guess it's like a combination of turn order, faction, and what's happening above the table, right? Yeah. Right. So in, in my mind, I see this as like a militarily greedy type of strategy for the moles. And it's definitely a, a pretty uncommon thing to see. Sometimes you'll see like a version of this in digital with players who are just getting their hands on the moles. Mm-hmm. And are trying to kind of like play it like the faction board might indicate it's worth 
trying, you know, it to be played. <laughs> yeah. But I think that, like, a really, truly, like, skilled moles operator pulling this out in a game has to be responded to, like, very quickly, right? <laughs> yeah. yeah. Because if you let it develop, it's going to be very hard to crack later on. So I, this, to me, does feel like it's a power grab really early in the game. It won't show up in terms of points, but it will show up in terms of army size. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I love that, Kyle, is that the way it works is if your opponents let you get away with it. Exactly, yeah. And it's going to take you an extra turn to sway Brigadier because you're spending or you're revealing one card of your opening hand to build that Citadel, most likely, if you're going to yeah. go for this type of strategy. So you can maybe get, like, Marshall or something. So your action economy kind of de- takes a hit. Like, it develops a little more slowly. But, like, who's using Brigadier to battle twice in turn two anyway? <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's fair. That's yeah. fair. Still moving him out of the burrow, you know. Very helpful. Yeah, Very yeah, helpful. yeah. yeah. Okay, uh, from a swole mole, we go to a thin Lizzie. <laughs> uh, we've talked a lot about thin Lizzies on this episode already, how it was done to great success in the winter tournament final. Um, and this is where you're building single gardens in many clearings as opposed to stacking multiple gardens in one clearing. Ah, okay? oh, man. This is such a, a fun strategy, and this is kind of making me wish that... Uh, for our, our moles sample, we went with uh, pump and dump. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, people talked about it on the Discord. I went with this one, um, but there are. If you're interested, there are many fringe strategies that were discussed on the Good Time Society Discord on the Woodland War Machine channel. Get in the chat. Tell us your fringe strategies. The reason why this particular lizard strategy is so uh, fringe is because I specifically say it is. No. (laughs) Um, uh, Because, um, here we go, the company line here, you're introducing unnecessary liabilities to your game. Yeah, you're taking a risk, all right? We can frame it positively in some ways. Yeah, This this one feels a little more unnecessary in its definition, right? Because... Fear of the faithful, the same punitive measure, I, uh, the not equivalent punitive measure as the moles, but in, a, a cousin of, uh, <laughs> is somewhat unnecessary because you only need so many gardens in each suit to either draw more cards or score an adequate amount of points when when scoring, right? Right, right. Like the difference between two and three gardens is nothing. That yeah, is just it's an a extra point for your opponents. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> And one last card for you. And one more ruled clearing to stop the Badgers all of the final game. But Yeah, that's true. That's true. A clearing that you're taking up. Now, usually as the Lizards, your whole thing is like, oh, forget about me. I'm just over here. Yeah. So, like, the idea of taking up more space is absolutely frightening to me. The boys are back in town, man. They're in your way. <laughs> the boys are back in town, and they are gardening. Um, so what is good about this? I think the main thing that is good about this is minimizing the inevitable pain you will feel when you do get hit. Okay? You're going to get hit, so you might as well lose less cards. Right? You might as well not lose your entire base of operations just like... 40% of your base of operations, okay? <laughs> it also gives you more choices when you're crusading, whether you're crusading in that clearing or from that clearing, uh, as long as the outcast aligns. But, you know, if I have two mouse clearings that I can crusade to and from, that's going to give me more options, whether I'm trying to prevent one of my clearings from being raised by a mob token or... I'm trying to, you know, even just like take out a piece of cardboard or stop the leader, 
if I if the lizards have to participate in that. It, it's going to give you more options. And as we saw in the final, it can also deny movement to factions that might need it, like the birds, the badgers, and maybe the cats. Yeah, the access to more of the board I actually do find very appealing about uh, the Thin Lizzy strategy. Mm-hmm. Um, it's also kind of funny to think about, too, that this gets its name from the uh, sort of undernourished defense of these <laughs> yeah. gardens. You know, like each garden will have like what, like two lizards or three lizards around it. Yeah. Yeah. I'd, I'd say three, but I mean, yeah, in the tournament final, there are ones on the back line that had like two. Yeah. Right. I, I kind of love it just because it, it makes you more of a participant in the game. Yeah. Which mm-hmm. I think is cool. That's true. And if you can kind of rebuild quickly from uh, a fear of the faithful induced garden loss, <laughs> then I mean, it could make the risk of building gardens in more locations kind of worth it, right? Because if you, if like you mentioned, if you lose your whole base of operations, uh, that's basically unrecoverable. You're out of the game. Yeah. But by kind of diversifying your uh, portfolio of gardens <laughs> in a way you you kind of have the chance to sort of recover from uh devastating blows yeah and it's like you will be the subject to devastating blows probably more often uh, and probably earlier in the game but what you're gaining is the fact that they have to figure that out and they have to choose they have to problem solve around you as opposed to I don't know. It's a big stack. It's similar to taking out the moles late game where it's like, well, we all know what we have to do. Let's all three pile in and the person who's last in turn order gets the points, you know? Um, Right. Yeah. You know, this, this might be like, oh, we got one of their gardens. They're good. You know? Because it does set them back. Um, In terms of the like bouncing back through acolytes, I think it's kind of six of one half dozen of another. Yeah, that that seems like you're going to get probably fewer acolytes. Yeah. Overall. It, honestly, it'd just be great if the suit you got cleared from had anything to do with the outcast suit. Yeah. That that's what matters way more than did you lose 3 or did you lose 6 and the whole thing yeah. versus tall lizards. That doesn't matter. True. It just matters like if you get kicked out of your fox clearing, god, it'd be nice to have a fox outcast. <laughs> you know. True. But you know, if you are spread out on the map, then maybe that follow-up crusade um, kind of like conspiracies turn would be a little more productive since you have access to more of the board. Like you can kind of like shape things a little more actively at least. Here's my uh, root second edition lizards pitch right in the middle of this episode. You ready? Part of fear of the faithful is if you destroy a clearing, then immediately you discard all of the lost souls. And you flip the outcast to hated of the suit that was just destroyed. That's my pitch. That's thematically. That's kind of thematically. That's super fun, right? Love that. Yeah, that's my pitch. Okay. Why did this uh, take so long to catch on? Um, I think that's because lizards are hard, and this is the trickier of the lizard strategies. Plus, it's difficult to know how consistent this is uh, based on how lucky lizards are to begin with. Like, I don't. Yeah, that's very My jury's still out. I mean, obviously it works in some situations, but so does moving five Woodland Alliance members across the whole board to do something. And I'm like, that's not, like we said, that's not a strategy. 
Um, though I think Thin Lizzy's <laughs> is more of a strategy. It's it, it's just so situational for me. You're saying how lucky they are in general to operate because of Lost Souls. Yeah, Lost Souls, the hand of cards you're dealt dictates everything you can do. Like, I'm trying to think of like what are ways to push this from fringe strategy to kind of like more mainstream or like more optimal the ways to deploy it. I mean, for the best example, go check out the Winter Tournament final <laughs> game because like sort of a hybrid version of this strategy was used, which is pretty cool. But w- one thing I like to think about is with a faction like the Lizards, you can choose what order you do all of your operations in. Yep. Now, for example, if you need to rule a clearing in order to build, maybe you need to recruit in that clearing first before you build. But for a strategy like Thin Lizzie's, what would you say to, like, maybe delay your constructing of gardens for, like, the last action on your turn? Because you can order it however you want to, basically. You can score, you can do whatever. Um, But basically trying to kind of conceal by doing it last the fact that you're building a garden in, like, an under-defended clearing. This is maybe a little sort of like an atmospheric like shaping. Yeah, you're like you're like hope type you're like operation. I'll build a garden here and then I guess I get my cards back and I draw. Is that what you're trying to do? You're just trying to like sneak it in at the last. I second? guess so. Yeah, yeah, I'm trying to think of like what are what are ways to make this seem innocuous or like less of a risk. I don't think it can seem innocuous. <laughs> no, no, good players will always be onto you. <laughs> yeah, I think it's just acknowledged and like maybe you're taking maybe you're trying to earn social credit uh, to being in the way of other people. Okay, interesting. So, yeah. like, you're using this as, like, hey, I'm being an obstructionist lizards, not a hide-in-the-corner lizards like you expect me to be. And you guys need to, like, make deals around that. Obviously, you're still going to get hit when there's an available garden to go burn. But um, maybe you can use it to table talk your way out of trouble. Yeah. Or at least delay it. I think that's a great way to think about it, Jake. Like, you know, you're going for something kind of unusual. Like, use it to fuel your table talk and use it to, I don't know, pitch in on the board and then be conveniently absent for other things. <laughs> I mean, ideally you're like optimizing your placement of these thin lizards to be obstructionist. Like you're optimizing their placement, right? It's not just getting them out on the board everywhere. So that optimization involves uh, uh, obstruction. Absolutely. Yeah. I was going to say that in, in some ways this feels like an evolution of, everyone's first instinct with the lizards which is i'm gonna recruit just like randomly in these clearings and right just try and be bothersome and everyone's gonna just leave me alone for the whole game <laughs> because the temptation to pop up anywhere because you can was so high when we first learned about the lizards. oh my gosh it's like, oh, yeah i'll just convert that lone figure and guess what i can just plant a garden there all of a sudden but then as the fear of the faithful took hold <laughs> we all got shamed away from this idea but yeah i i love the strategy I, i'm glad to see it was employed so effectively more exploration required yeah i everything y'all are saying literally makes my stomach turn like yeah just be in the way (laughs) i'm like what (laughs) like no like you're gonna get hurt if you're in the way (laughs) Um, so when should you employ this strategy right i think that there are two things two situations and they're kind of the opposite (laughs) okay There's games with, like, the Woodland Alliance and the Warlord and, like, the birds and stuff where the extra crusade options could help save you, right? Like, oh, I need Mm, to take out that sympathy mm -hmm. so there's not a revolt on my gardens. Or I need to make sure I don't get mobbed. Or, look, the Warlord's coming through, so 
I don't know. Actually, with the Warlord, yeah, I'm yeah, like, I'm going to make sure you don't want this one. You could take the ones around it, but you can't <laughs> take this one. Or you could employ this in a game that's just the opposite, where there aren't a lot of aggressive factions to like call your overreach. And this is what I think happened in the Winter Tournament final game, where it's like, well, who's coming for the Lizards right now? Like The Moles are kind of playing catch-up. The Vagabond was on the other side of the board. And the Badgers couldn't kind of get through. So the Lizards were like kind of free to expand into this territory that a, a Lizards player usually wouldn't. Yeah, shaping the battlefield in yeah. a way, right? Like you're yeah. like kind of guiding where the other factions are even able to be. Right. I mean, you're you're creating the like microcosms of where the other factions are. Like that's a pretty cool way to, to use the strategy, I think. Yeah. But you're right though that the thing that was missing uh, from the tournament final was a faction like the warlord that was going to be able to just like kind of uh, brute force their way through one of these outposts. Yeah. No one carved a path and the lizards really would have felt that, but <laughs> I mean, so it's a really good read yeah, of the game yeah. by over the morrow. Um, but yeah, that's why I'm not, <laughs> that's why I still haven't given it my seal of approval, but uh, I, yeah, more, more, because there's certain faction mixes that would yeah. totally counter this strategy. Basically hard counter it, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, and I've seen Lily do the thing where she spreads out, maybe not in all the suits, but a couple suits are thin so that she can, like, clean up the, like, sympathy tokens and stuff. I've seen that strategy before. And, it, and it, mm. yeah, yeah, it's it's good. This is a good game. Okay, um... <laughs> Now it's time for another, shouldn't this be intuitive, counterintuitive strategy. Yes! Uh, this is the Incite Warlord, okay? Uh -huh. And yeah. by that I mean actually inciting with the Warlord. Okay. Um, this is a quote-unquote fringe strategy because you're putting cardboard points on the table, uh, often in places that you won't be able to defend. Right, so you're spending a card to place a mob token at your warlord, right? Right, but then the thing about the mob tokens is that they proliferate and they start to spread, and soon it's the tail wagging the dog. You're just trying to follow where these free cardboard points are, like roaming around the board, just to try and defend them, basically, right? Yeah, I mean, it's great if they like go into a clearing where it's like, oh, that's gonna you know kill two buildings, so I will park there and defend it because mm -hmm. you know all all the better but yeah sometimes it's like i i'm not gonna go there <laughs> like that's not my plan i'm not Mob in die. the mood <laughs> <laughs> um what's good about it is you could potentially bring in extra cardboard points through raising and items in the ruins also taxing other factions battle actions and I'll say that again because that's fun to say. Taxing <laughs> factions, battle actions. See, I think that's actually kind of maybe the underutilized part of it is also maybe they're a distraction. So you can go oppress the other half if they're chasing cardboard. That seems like a, a long a long reach. But if, uh, if they have to spend their time worrying about the fires that they have to put out, then they're not worrying about getting in your way for oppression. Yeah, I mean, cats, Woodland Alliance... They hate that. Yes, absolutely. Birds are sure. like great. Woodland Badgers Lions, are like perfect. Woodland Lions you know? can't do anything about it, man. It's no. brutal for them. 
if they have something there, like <laughs> yeah, yeah, early on, true. they can't. Yeah, you're right. The sympathy is going to get raised. Mm-hmm. You're right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. That's the thing is that the raise is a very effective preventative measure for placing cardboard in those clearings. And so essentially those clearings become like off limits to buildings if you're mm-hmm. and, and tokens and stuff if your faction cares about that can't go for dividends if you got my <laughs> <laughs> tokens all over the place i said why did it take so long to catch on and it's like i, I say i think you do see uh, mob tokens used a lot outside of competitive play right um but it feels similar to like mole buildings or dividends where it's where the better thing to do is actually just like doing less of your faction like not building buildings, not scoring dividends. Like it turns out, the more optimal thing is to like do less. Um, you have to say this purely weird. because uh, the points that it provides, essentially, the points that it provides outweighs any benefit that you get from it. Also, it does cost a card to start the mobs, which you only draw one card. So what about like I don't know. The, so there are a few examples of defenseless folks, right? Like the lizards or early alliance. Mm-hmm. You can't always, like, balance against it. Right. But you are still rolling a die and hoping yeah. it goes there. Yeah. Like, can it work? Yeah. Yeah. I but, mean, well, if you're doing this, you're probably going jubilant at least once, right? Isn't that the move yeah. that spreads them all? Yeah, I would. Yeah. And you can do the thing where you take all the tokens back to, like, recruit warriors. Oh, yeah. Um, mm-hmm. That seems pretty yeah. cool. I forget which bitter, item that's attached to. The bitter mood, which is attached to the hammer. Oh, okay. Allows right. you to sort of like soak up the mob tokens and transform them into warriors. Well, that's which is one. pretty useful. But, I mean, are those tokens just going to be like chilling for long enough for you to be able to do that? <laughs> no. And if they happen to be in ruins clearings, like what are the chances that you draw a hammer right. out of those ruins? Oh, you're you know? right. I was like, oh, hammer. That's like the one where it's like that's barely going to show up but i forgot right there's one in the ruins so you could kind of defeat your own strategy <laughs> also yeah there's a bag in the ruin right yeah yeah there is and that's relentless there's also... that's the best one right right so yeah this it could become quite complicated you may need to lavish a ruin item that you've gone yeah. to great lengths to obtain yeah 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 okay yeah starting to see it all again um <laughs> but when should we be doing this uh i think definitely when there's no vagabonds uh yeah. vag- if yeah. there's vagabonds just don't do don't, this don't play hundreds <laughs> yeah. stop playing hundreds when there's a vagabond <laughs> you shouldn't be deciding the strategy because you chose a different faction <laughs> um if and- you're playing against vagabond as the warlord just build strongholds yeah you're a great person to punch the vagabond but yeah. you're never going to get to those ruined items. Give up no. on that dream, kid. You're... Yeah, it's over. <laughs> <laughs> also, it's good against like factions that uh, have cardboard and hate to battle like cats, lizards, and Woodland Alliance, right? Yeah. Yeah. Anything else on the inciting warlord? It is kind of where the fa- your opposing factions are at. We've mentioned early alliance. We've mentioned lizards kind of in general. I feel like also... Like maybe Corvids, if you have at least one rat protecting them, it's like the Corvids never want to attack, much less really roll against other soldiers. They always want to take its free stuff. So like if you put a little bit of mouse eff- or rat effort into protecting a, f- a couple of them early on, maybe there's a little bit of a snowball of like plucking off plots and cardboard that makes it uh, sustainable until you want to do bitter and then retreat them all into a ball. 
I feel like there are there are some there are some pathways that that people can find. I guess. Yeah. 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 If you play safe insight, <laughs> is that going to be the name of the strategy? Like safe insight. Yeah. Like like light the huts on fire and then tend the fires. <laughs> yes. Stick around. Don't just leave the clearing. You know. Right. Really throw some kindling on there. Hey, Mom, do you have everything you need? Do you all need a snack? Is everybody hydrated? You're all going to be here for a while, okay? <laughs> I've got a bunch of tiny cups of water. Yeah. I'm a warlord, not a monster. It's smoky here, okay? It's going to dry out your throats. And you have a lot of yelling to do, okay? Why is that building not on fire? Light that building on fire. <laughs> yeah, it's sort of funny to think that like you could create like a... You know, a swathe of unbuildable territory on the map, which is sort of fun. Uh, but you're also right in that you're rolling a die to see where this thing is going to yeah. spread. So, like, yeah. it's just it's always going to go off the rails and, just by nature of it being random. And sometimes <laughs> those rolls will result in no spread, which is really painful when that happens. Yeah. Yeah. Very true. Very true. Yeah. Yeah. That's a weird one. Yeah, I got to. I wish it was on digital because I just want to play like a bunch of yeah. games as Warlord. Crunch the numbers know? hard. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. The late bitter burst could be pretty cool with the Warlord because yeah. like suddenly you have this, you know, giant war rat ball, which would be amazing. Yeah. <laughs> uh, all right. Next up, the other Marauder counterintuitive strategy. We got the Badger Police. Um, okay. Sir with a relic, pull over. <laughs> uh, this is badgers using their retinue to actually battle people instead of battling just being like a price they pay for delving, right? Oh, okay. Uh, so why it's fringe, I think, is because badgers have a lot to manage already with their own puzzle. Um, and if they're good at doing that, then they can just race their way to victory. And so policing is pretty unnecessary at that point. Kind of like what we landed on with moles, right? Where it's like, okay, you could become a police force, but like you could also just start running faster than them. You know what I mean? Right. Yeah. Okay. So this this is definitely um, a counterintuitive type of strategy. But remember, the Batchers are technically a red faction. Oh, yes, of course. So they have to earn their stripes in in that regard, you know? For me, I think the the hardest part about this strategy is what you mentioned is recalibrating in your own head. Like, instead of starting with how am I going to recover a relic? Yeah. (laughs) I'm going to start with how can I disrupt my opponent's engine this turn? Like, where can I get to to make that? worth it and then like try and line up the like multiple threads that you're trying to uh, the multiple needles that you're trying to thread uh so that you can maybe score some points from relics or something at the end as well Uh, we mentioned this in the guide but it really is about aligning incentives for the badgers to, to be played well and in this one we're kind of incentivizing the like police actions a little or like weighing them a little bit heavier right and we talked about this too in the guide like if you like get a relic you can use devout knights like offensively to really do some damage right right because then your battle actions like i forget what the dice are but like the defender rolls a one or a zero like most of the time and so like you're just not taking damage from these battles if you just put a bunch of cards in there 
you can, similar to like a, an Eerie with a loaded decree, just really do some damage. That being said, like, you know, you probably also have to recover some relics. Too. Like, that's the thing is like, what's the point here? I mean, obviously you're, you're policing. So you are disrupting opponents and generally you're probably gaining cardboard from it. So mm -hmm. uh, Kyle makes a lot of sense to me with whole, like we're putting the, the balance of choosing our battle and delves and we're, we're tilting that towards uh, opposition to, or obstruction rather than our own optimization of getting the relics. Okay. But like, how far away are we going? Like how far do those scales tip? Do they go? So we're not even really planning to delve at all in that clearing or, are we doing it to obstruct something that doesn't even result in cardboard because it at least eliminates the opponent's moles where they were going to sway or something? Like, what defines this strategy as being what it is? That's a good question. I we I saw some people talk about it on the Discord, and I kind of just feel like it's yeah. I think it's just like a a priorities thing. Yeah, I know it's more yeah. of an outlook than a strategy. Okay, there, that, that, that's helpful actually. Yeah, and I'm not again. I'm not trying to split hairs. I'm just no, trying to no, no, no. define it in my head because yeah, generally the badgers can really only battle where they can get to anyway. So are they going out of their way? Well, probably not, or they might not be able to based on rule. I don't know. I guess it, I guess it doesn't matter if they don't rule in that place because they're not bothering to delve anyway. Right, the delving yeah, is secondary. I mean, secondary. this is basically just like a pair of sunglasses to put on this fashion. <laughs> like, I'm here to, Maybe. I'm here to start a bunch of battles this time. I mean, Everyone, like, look out. <laughs> this actually would probably be helpful in a situation where you got checked early as the Badgers, and you're just like, well, uh, now I can't rule multiple clearings, so I can't take the risk to get the threes right now. So I'll spend my time hitting back. Like I, like I can get one relic and then hold on to it and devout knights into their face to at least get me some room. Yeah, I'm not going to get all my relics in by the time the game ends, but at least now I've slowed them down enough to maybe allow me to catch up. There's some merit there for sure. I can also see a world where, kind of similar to the Woodland Alliance tactic that we mentioned, this could be used as like a freeing um, action to get across a choke point or to like access mm -hmm. a new part of the board. Mm -hmm. Which in, in which case it would take a little bit of creativity and vision on the part of the player just to notice that, like, I'm going to need some muscle to, like, get to the other relics. Right. So, like, what I need to do is build up my kind of, like, military might here. Maybe instead of scoring this relic right away, I'm going to use it as a battering ram to get through this choke point. Mm. So, I think kind of like swole badgers yeah uh there's like a time and a place and this could be more of like a tactical thing than a, yeah a game long strategy because you're right i just don't know where the points are going to come from right yeah yeah especially if you got like a hireling that gives you extra hits or something you could get some Ooh, damage done. yeah Ooh, in respect like for the listeners this episode uh this is our season finale by the way we haven't really mentioned that <laughs> yeah we have not have we yeah but we should now but i want to take this opportunity like well, we're on a little bit of a break during the summer and preparing for RootCon. I would love to see how some of these counterintuitive strategies go for you. So give us the examples that we're missing or give us examples of the <laughs> of the scenarios we've predicted, maybe, and prove yeah, us right. I guess I, 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 I definitely don't want to seem like judgmental about any of these because I truly I don't have a ton of experience with these kind of kind of counterintuitive strategies because like for me, I um, I've practiced a lot of like the kind of meta standard right. type of plays but how did those get to be standard you know it was through a lot of like trial and error and creativity and exploration that we got to these methods that work and i'm a big believer in root being this endless game yeah uh this like 
you know, this vast expanse that like the, the deeper you dig, the more there is. And this is a perfect example of like, these are just sort of tantalizing hints at what strategies might actually work or, you know, what one part of this combined with something else might actually be the best way to we've discovered to like play this faction you never know so i think like uh points on the side of creativity and just giving it a shot and telling us how how it went yeah (laughs) excited uh we got one more or are we done with this oh and this one is a doozy all right this is the scoundrel lost city forever quest (laughs) (laughs) okay so what is this this is when the scoundrel goes scorched earth on the lost city Mm-hmm. And then stays there because they're the only faction piece that can stay there. Uh, and then just quests to win. <laughs> okay. So why is this fringe? Well, it's extremely situational. You're at the mercy of the quest deck and the lost city's kind of new. Okay. Yeah. And also you've given up your torch. Yeah. You have given up in your order torch. to scorched earth. So you could, could potentially get quest locked yeah <laughs> reminder yeah. for those of you who have played scoundrel since 2019 scorched earth <laughs> is the ability where uh you place the torch in the clearing itself and you remove all enemy pieces there because lost city is a non-enemy piece it just stays there so therefore the lost city's properties still apply uh pieces can no longer be placed in or moved into this clearing now because we're the vagabond we also can't return here if we leave so the point here is that you stay once you do it right yep yeah. And because it's always wild, because it's the Lost City, you can do any quests there. <laughs> yes, yes. Yeah, if you got the items, you can quest. This I don't know. Thematically, you know. I love this. Is like this was like the villain <laughs> in the root RPG. Is he burned the city to the ground, then he started doing all these rituals there by himself and no one can yeah, enter. Yeah, he roams yeah. the streets repairing sheds. Who are you giving a speech <laughs> to, bro? to skeletons. <laughs> Oh boy, yeah, this is so good. I- I'm sure that this has been something that people have discovered, but this was the first time I had heard of it, and I thought it was pretty awesome. No, this is some truly uh, terrific root theory crafting mm-hmm. going on right now. <laughs> yeah, Francis S. brought this to my attention. Um, uh, <laughs> he said the scoundrels' whole blow up the clearing and quest forever strat. Um, yeah, this is pretty incredible. So when would you do this? Um, well, when you're ready to blow the minds of your fellow players. <laughs> okay, that's when I would do it. Totally. Uh, and when you're attacking, or when the attacking power of the table uh, seems overwhelming, and when the cardboard points of the Lost City are just too good to pass up. It's probably the end game, right? Because Or mid, I, I mean, if, you're, if you're gonna quest enough. <laughs> there's just, there's a lot of quests that require the torch. Yeah, how many quests require won't... the torch? have Ooh, access that's to a anymore. really good point uh like at least half of them right no or a th- no a lot of them do hold on let me look uh one, four, so there's seven that require the torch and there's eight that don't so oh, and there's boy. 15 total in the deck yeah so that is about half. it's a little under half it is half yeah dang dang yeah so that is you a lot. really have to be on top use that notebook you know like check what quests have Come and gone. Get already. those torch quests out of the way right away. People are like, "Why aren't you getting those items?" You're like, "Don't worry about it." <laughs> I'm fending off a bear. All right, it's pretty important. <laughs> um, 
this was a uh, a fantastic episode, fantastic season of episodes. And I do want to thank a lot of the listeners that helped contribute to this episode. I'm talking The Annoying Alchemist, Gundar H. Stryker, Prestane, Geomorgsky, Nebuchadnezzar shouts, uh, Harriet, Francis S., Root Manuvis, Glandor Hooverstein, Over the Morrow, Garrick Samples, Beyonzai 7000, Endgamer 1331, Monte Cristo 24601, PJ Darker, Elavaris, Better Pools, SP Shaman, It's Rudimentary, Squidmark, and Zev. Thank you, everybody, who's just on the Discord hanging out and contributing to the conversation. We really appreciate you as a community and as friends. This was really fun. It was so fun. I It, it blew my mind. I asked this question, like, hey, what are your fringe, st- fringe strats here? And basically everyone from the Root Finals game just started answering the question right after the game had finished. And I was like, what? <laughs> Y'all, take a moment. But uh, some some real rock stars out there. Yeah, that's amazing. And once once again, congrats to Over the Morrow for the championship. Now, uh, you can put that up on the mantle, I'm sure. And wow, I mean, it, it's it's exciting to be top of the root world. Yeah, it's I'm I'm so excited uh, for everything we've got in store coming up too, because so many of you will be able to see at RootCon 2023. Even more of you will be able to see at RootCon 2024. <laughs> um, and uh, very excited to give you more glorious Root content. We're going to be probably doing some live streams. There'll be a couple episodes kind of in the lead up to RootCon. We'll be active on the Discord. But we did want to take a little break so that we can focus on putting up the best RootCon possible. Um, I'm just buzzing with excitement. So excited for you all to see the beer uh, for y'all to see <laughs> the tournament. We're all going to hang out with Cole and Josh. I, I'm just, I'm over the moon. It's going to be great. I'm so excited. Uh, happy se- happy three seasons. We knocked happy out three, three seasons. seasons this show. That's crazy. Yeah. And Jake will let us know when Good Time Society renews us for a fourth. Yeah. Uh, I'm making the pitch to the board in a week. <laughs> okay, great, great. <laughs> The board is dogs and babies. <laughs> oh, God. I don't think they will like this podcast. None of them can physically thumbs up. <laughs> Several of them don't even have opposing thumbs, and the rest don't know how to operate them yet. Oh, boy. Oh, boy. <laughs> this has been a wild one. We got to interview Josh about the rule book. Yes. And, like, that was such a, like, dreamy episode for me. Yeah. <laughs> All right. What was your favorite episode of the season? Go. So your friends don't like Root was actually really fun, especially talking to Rachel. Yeah, Uh, it was really great to get perspective on that, I thought. Yeah, yeah, that was, yeah, I did enjoy having Rachel. I liked the Root Mythbusters episodes. (laughs) Um, Yeah, and we did the whole Hireling World Cup. Yeah, we'll have to come up with our, like, kind of running series for uh, uh, season four. But I know what you want us to talk about. (laughs) That is.
Kyle, I've um, been looking into this game called John Company, which is Cole Worley's. It's another Cole Worley game, yeah, right? Yeah. And where you play as uh, a fam- different families uh, vying for different positions in the East India Trade Company. Yes. Okay. Yeah, right. And there's like a lot of like nepotism and like, hey, can you do me a favor and get this guy as the manager of shipping? Um, you know, and there's like basically like Twilight Imperium level like promissory notes to trade and you know, you could trade chips and like basically everything in the game. It's like a big negotiation game. But it is as all Cold Worldly's games are, very opaque and a lot a lot of rules. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. It's pretty exciting. That's cool. I've seen the um the uh board for it. Yeah. In a few different places. And it is like so lovely to look at. Yeah. It's yeah, it's designed well. And the production is like premium, but I I feel similarly when I when we're like getting into oath, I was like, oh boy, all right, I'm gonna have to take like two days to understand what this is. <laughs> like, I'm just like, so glad that one French YouTuber made all those helpful oh, videos. Yeah. Oh yeah. Um, this, John Company is a four point four two out of five on the weight. Oh, that's pretty heavy. <laughs> uh, I've seen a couple of great playthroughs of John Company. Not that I feel like I was able to pick up the rules necessarily from watching yeah. it just being played, but uh, it was a really great time. It was on uh, Garrick Samples Games channel. Yeah. Uh, I think he was playing with BotBot and oh, Lily cool. and somebody else at the time. Uh, but there's definitely a few playthroughs of John Company on that channel. Yeah. Um, big Cole Worley fans over there. Yeah, I've always wanted to give um, Pax Pamir a shot. Yeah, same. That's one game that I have not played yet that I really would love to play one day. Yeah, me too. I've done it once. And how was it? Well, I just feel like playing a cold whirly game once is similar yeah, to isn't... having not played. Yeah, it. yeah. I'm sure, like, sure. I I know the systems. <laughs> I know now. that they exist. <laughs> um, but I am pretty pumped about John Company, so we'll have to put something together soon. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, no. Cold Worldly games are like great novels or something. You got to read them a couple of times to like figure out what's going on, yeah. and then you got to read them a couple more times to like figure out the like themes and all that stuff. Yeah, and then on your fifth play, you're like, "This is my favorite book." All right, don't stop recording. We have a root per D. Yes. Oh, we're going to blitz through it. We're going to blitz through damn. it. Damn. All right. Yeah, let's do it. Taxing factions battle actions. <laughs>